Hey there, welcome to the Favorite Church Podcast. We are a church for imperfect people who want to know God and make Him famous. In this episode, we'll be hearing from our senior pastor, James Aiden. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Great to have you here. Hello, everybody online. And uh, it's, it's good to be here. So today is the last day of our series. Have you enjoyed our series, Relationship Status? It's been a good series. We've, we've dealt with so many different things, the importance of relationships, how to deal with being lonely, how to deal with being married, how to deal with being a parent or being a child. Last week, Paul preached a great message. I watched it uh, in my bed. It was amazing on vacation uh, about how to deal with conflict and it was so good. Then Kate and I had a big fight that afternoon, and then I used what I learned in the sermon, and I applied it to my wife, and she calmed down, and we had a great rest of our vacation. And so today, I'm finishing off our series uh, talking about sex, and uh, I love talking about this subject. Uh, I think it's a subject that the church needs to talk about more. And the reason why we got so many problems in the church is because we haven't talked about it enough. Now listen, before I start, here's the thing. There, there are people that have grown up in church and straight away you kind of know what I'm gonna say and you feel guilty because of some of the things you've done, whether it was last month, last year, 10 years ago, or last night, who knows. Uh, and you're sitting going, oh, you know, and oh, I feel, ooh, and everything. Let me just tell you this, I just wanna say this. Grace, 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 Jesus did not come for the perfect. He came for you. He came for those that have made mistakes. Jesus stood in front of the Pharisees when they were gonna stone the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And he stood in front of them and said, those who haven't sinned cast the first stone. And he loved on that woman. And I wanna share this verse with you. If at any point as I'm preaching today, you feel like, oh, I feel guilty for what I've done, I wanna let you know that there is no guilt found in Jesus. There's only conviction found in Jesus. There's no condemnation found for those who are found in Christ Jesus. And it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's the good news. It doesn't matter if you did something stupid this morning. If you confess your sins, it's because he is faithful, he is just. It's not because of how good you are. You're not that great. What'd you learn in church today? My pastor said I wasn't that great. You're not, neither am I. But that's the beauty of Jesus, so that he takes something that's not great and he perfects us in him. It's him added to us that creates perfection in Christ, not our own works. And so today I wanna to talk about it. There's other people in the room, and I know this, and, and in the Philippines, unfortunately, the percentage of this is so extremely high, where things have happened to you in a sexual nature that was outside of your control. It was done by evil people doing evil things. And I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to love everyone, but I'm telling you, if I could punch some people in the face, I would punch those people in the face. And, and I wanna let you know that even today, the way that I preach this, I, you know, and you know how I preach, I, I kinda add jokes so that people don't you know, get all freaked out about stuff, but even with how I preach, I wanna let you know that God loves you. Sometimes when we go through those things, we ask, well, where was God? How come God let it happen? And the easy answer for that, it's the most easiest and the most difficult answer is this, I don't know. 
I don't know why it happened to you. I know that there's sin in this world. I know that there's sinful, evil people. And I'm so sorry that it happened to you. But this is what I know is that God can come and he can heal you, that he can wash you white as snow. And that even though something evil was done to you, God can take that evil, he can turn it around, and he can heal you, and he can make you whole. And so I want to let you know that if this triggers some things in you today, that at the end of this message, you can encounter the healing, the love of Jesus, and you can actually go through a process. And it may be today, it may be sitting with a therapist or a psychologist, but go through that process of releasing, of forgiving, of allowing Christ to come and heal your heart. Is that okay? Because the thing is this, we got to talk about this. We have to talk about this. Some of you have got teenagers in the room today, and I'm so glad that they're here because this is going to create a fantastic lunch conversation today with your, with your teenager. And we have, we have to talk about it. So, so many parents ask me, well, is it appropriate? Should we be talking about this in church? Because won't it unlock something before it's time? Are you kidding me? Walk outside. It's unlocked on EDSA. It's unlocked on your phone. I try and play games on my phone that are like Gardenscape Candy Crush games, and then all of a sudden an ad will come up, come take this kingdom with me. I'm like, no! I just want to play Candy Crush! I don't want to take a kingdom with you! All the gamers got that joke. Everybody else is like, I don't understand why. Right? There, there, sex is everywhere, and, and what the church doesn't speak on, the devil is going to own. And unfortunately, the devil's done a pretty good job in the last few thousand years in owning this subject. And as a church, we got to take it back. So many times growing up in the church, the church has come across in this way of being anti-sex. So we're anti-premarital sex. We're anti-gay sex. We're anti-extramarital sex. And so it's this idea that the church, that Christianity is against sex. Sex is bad. Don't do it. It's wrong. The only use for sex is for procreation, right? Don't, don't do it. It's bad. Could I tell you that is the farthest thing from the truth, sex is incredible. It's amazing. It was created by God. Let me tell you one of the best verses in the Bible. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. It says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. My wife is a beautiful deer. And then some of the best words in the whole Bible, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always by her love. That is the word of God. Lord, I do what you say. (laughs) I tell Kate all the time, baby, it's biblical. This is the Bible. God designed it. This is the title of my sermon today. God loves sex. Some of y'all are freaking out already. (laughs) I don't know if you can see it, but there's a little asterisk there. You know when they get you like interest-free for 24 months, but there's a little asterisk that says we're going to screw you with everything down the bottom, right? There's, There's an asterisk here. There's an asterisk on my title because the asterisk is this. God loves sex when it's done the way he designed it. God loves sex when it's done the way that he's designed it. It's a wonderful gift from God. 
But just like every gift from God, it can be used for its proper use or it can be misused. And so today we're gonna talk about six and we're gonna talk about it from a biblical point of view. And it's such a wide ranging topic that I cannot cover everything in one sermon. So tonight, uh, I know a lot of you have come to church this morning, but at 6.30 tonight after our last service, I'm gonna be doing a Q&A. Albie and Don are gonna sit on the stage and I've already seen some of the questions and oh my God. There is no question that's out of bounds tonight. Tonight, it is R18. If this is PG-13, tonight is R18 biblical style. And, uh, and so I'm going to go into detail more tonight with stuff. So if you're thinking, oh, but, but he didn't answer this question. Well, come tonight. I will probably answer your question. But we need to talk about sex. And I want to preach a message today that I wish someone had preached to me when I was younger. The world defines sex this way, that it's recreational play between two consenting adults for the purpose of sexual release. So kind of has this sense of sex is something that you can do with whoever, whenever, however. And in response to how the world has looked at sex, the church has come in from the other end and has kind of responded to the world. Instead of responding out of the word of God and the way God designed it, we've responded to how the world's done it, and we've kind of raised generations of people with all these rules and all these regulations about sex never going into the heart of how beautiful sex is, how amazing it is, and the fact that God designed it. And so we're fighting against this world's idea of sex instead of fighting for how good God's design of sex is. And so all we get is rules of how you can do it, when you can do it, and with these rules comes no explanation of the heart of God. And unfortunately, if you didn't grow up in church, you don't care about the rules. So why does it matter to you? My sex education consisted of three main areas. My home, my family, uh, my church, and my school. Uh, I, had a, I went to a non-Christian school and a Christian school. My home, um, this is where you're supposed to learn about sex. Can I just tell you that? Uh, the last time I preached on sex in our church, uh, one of the couples said, thanks a lot for doing that. You know, my son came home and talked to me about it. And I said, you're welcome. They're su you're supposed to. This is what you know how my sex talk went with my dad. My dad's not here today. He was here last week, but he's watching online. I know he's watching online. Do you know how my sex talk with my dad went? My dad came into my room. I'm about 11, 12 years old, right? My dad sits down and goes, Well, James, I'm, I'm not, I can't exaggerate this. I know I exaggerate some stories. I'm not gonna, I'm not exaggerating what happened here. He sat down and he goes, Well, James, it's, uh, you know, we need to. We need to have that chat. I went, <laughs> yeah, Dad, what do you want to know? He goes, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> All right. <laughs> and then he walked out. <laughs> that was the extent of my sex chat with my dad. You know, it took 20 years for me to find out. 20 years later, I was 32 years old, and my mom told me the other side of the story. My mom had sent him in to have the chat with me, and he came back, she goes, did you have the chat? Yep, yep, no problem, yep, everything's good, right? So, so I love my dad, but he didn't give me the proper sex chat, right? And then I had my church, and my church basically said, don't do it, it's bad! Anybody else grow up in the church like that? Don't do it, it's bad, don't! Stop, no! Ah! 
don't ever touch a girl. Oh, yes, okay, right? Like, that's what it was, right? And then I had school. So I had, like, school concept, and, and everyone talked about the birds and the bees. I, to this day, I have never been explained properly the birds and the bees. Never. To this day, I don't understand because the bees like this big and the birds like this big, I just don't see how it... I still don't understand what it's like. But I went to a Christian school for a little bit and the sex ed was like really awkward, really uncomfortable. Then I went to a non-Christian school and it was the other way. They pulled out a banana, pulled out a condom, said this is how you put a condom on a banana. Make sure you use a condom. And I learned from my friends. They showed me photos of naked girls. They, they, they talked about masturbation. And so my, my sex education for me was pretty messed up as a kid. Anybody else? Anybody else like that? It was pretty messed up. And I kind of fumbled my way through life learning from a lot of areas that I probably shouldn't have learned from. And because we haven't celebrated the why of sex, particularly in church, we've created the wrong goals in church. We've created a goal of virginity and abstinence. In order to have a successful pre-marriage experience, you have to be a virgin or you have to abstain from sex, right? That's never, there is, there is no verse in the Bible at all where Jesus says, be a virgin. Where Paul writes and says, hey, be a virgin, wear a purity ring. If it's not on, it's not on, right? There's actually nowhere in the Bible, do you know why? Because the goal should never be virginity or abstinence. The goal should be purity. Because the moment you get married, your abstinence or your virginity, it doesn't matter. But I'm telling you, especially single people, because some of you are like, well, when I get married, everything's going to be okay. Uh-uh. When you get married, there's now more on the line. There's more to lose now when you get married. And when you get married, your virginity doesn't matter anymore, but you know what matters? Your purity. And purity is what is gonna give you an incredible sex life in marriage, not your virginity on your wedding day. And so today I wanna talk about how great sex is and the way God created it to be done. Because when you go outside of the boundaries of how God has made it, then you'll begin to see the consequences of what God is trying to let you avoid. The sexual revolution in the 60s, it sold us a lie that a lot of people believed in the mainstream, that it's just a sex act, just this physical act, songs, movies, everything. Now to this day, the songs, I grew up with the song, let's get physical. Physical. Do you remember that song? I want to get physical. Right? That's not about working out. It's not about working out. It's about working out, but it's not about working out. But we just, I just thought it was about aerobics. It's not because it's creeped so much into our life. And so this sexual revolution that happened in the 60s, it created feminism and freedom and we're equal in sex. But do you know what it did? It's ruined generations of people because now sex is just viewed as this physical act. Let's go to the Bible and see 
what the Bible says about sex. The first mention of this idea is in Genesis chapter 2, 24. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Oh, I love this. This word, this, this word one, they shall become one flesh. The Hebrew word for this is this word called ikad. And it, it, it's not just this cute little like, oh yeah, we're, we're now one, we're, we're now together. Oh no, this is a bonding of two people into one entity being fused together at the deepest level. So this is what happens. God creates Adam. Adam's there, realizes that he's alone and he needs someone. And so he takes the rib of Adam out, puts him to sleep, and he separates Eve from Adam. He takes out the rib and he separates Eve. She becomes her own person. Adam is now his own person. And then what does he do? He brings them back together and they become one. In marriage, in, in physicality, they become one. And this is the perfect reflection of God. You know that the Bible says that we are created in the image of God. Well, how can I be created in the image of God if I'm just a man and a woman created in the image of God? The perfect reflection of the image of God is one man and one woman together. No beginning, no end. Perfectly reflecting the image of God. The first mention of the act of sex in the Bible is in Genesis 4, verse 1. It says, now Adam knew his wife Eve. That's the, the PG version of it. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So this is the ESV version. It says he knew. Other translations say that Adam had relations. Adam had sexual relations. Adam made love with Eve. They've got all these different ways of saying it. But essentially, Adam had sex with his wife. But why did I choose this translation? I, I chose this translation in particular because the, the, the Hebrew word used in this word that's been translated as sex, lovemaking, or new, it's this word yada. And yada is, again, it's not just we had sex. Yada is this Hebrew word that is this deep knowing. It's a deep knowing, and it's a word that is also used to describe how God knows his people. It's this deep, I am, I, I, am, I am known to you, and you are known to me. I, I have come together one flesh, and I know. And so God, in the first four chapters of the Bible, he sets pretty clearly his definition of sex, that sex is to be between one man and one woman together, and that it is a coming together, uh, this ikad, a deep fusion together, and as you do it, you will yada, you will know one another. He sets it straight away. This is so much more than just a physical act. It's a spiritual act of two becoming one, and it should be done by people who have made a commitment to each other, not just engaged in a good time. Some of you might be like, well, James, come on. Take it easy. It's just sex. Chill out. It's just that you're making too big of a deal of it. No, I'm just telling you what, how the Bible views sex. You should know how the person who created it thinks about it. Throughout humanity, the devil has done an amazing job in his fight of evil against good in taking truth and creating the counterfeit of truth. This is, this is the, the devil's MO, his mission operative. It's what he does is he takes truth and he creates 
counterfeit. He takes what God has established for good and he makes a counterfeit of it, which may seem better in a moment, but sin is like poison. If it doesn't kill you straight away, it will kill you slowly over time. And it kind of makes sense when you think of this idea of, of the devil, everything that the devil does is counterfeit to what God does. It, it kind of makes sense because if we go to Green Hills, just down the road here for everyone watching online, it's the Mecca of fake goods and counterfeit goods. If we go into Green Hills, what is counterfeited? Everything that is valuable. When you go down there, they've got brand new Nikes, Brand new Gucci, brand new Christian Dior, right? They don't, they don't counterfeit world balance. Why? Because they're counterfeiting what is valuable, and they're making a fake of it. So you know what that, that shows me? How much time and effort has the devil put into counterfeiting sex? That shows how valuable it is to God and how valuable it should be to us. God is truth, Satan is the counterfeit. Angels are true, demons are the counterfeit. Truth is true, lies are the counterfeit. Spirit-filled life is true, demon oppression is the counterfeit. Prophetic is true, fortune-telling is counterfeit. Are you getting it? If you want to know what's really valuable, look at what the devil spends his time trying to counterfeit. And sex is everywhere. He promotes it. You know that the porn industry, conservatively, the porn industry pulls in revenue, not what it's worth, it's worth even more, but the pornography industry, uh, conservatively, and I saw so many different stats, so I went with the conservative one, pulls in 15 billion US dollars a year. Just for context for you, Netflix pulled in $11.7 billion. That's how big the pornography industry is. That's how much time and effort that Satan is putting into this. He knows how valuable it is, and so he spent thousands of years trying to count of it. But God values sex the way he designed it, and the way he designed it was to be done in marriage. Hebrews 13, verse 4, it says this, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God honors sex in marriage. It should be kept pure, but the devil tries to counterfeit it. So here's my first point today. I got two points, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to cry, and then we're going to have an altar call for everyone having sex outside of marriage. No, we're not. I'm joking. <laughs> but some of y'all just got real uncomfortable. We'll do that at the Q&A tonight. Number one point is this, sex is amazing in the marriage bed. I'm telling you, sex, <laughs> sex is not just for procreation. Come on, someone who's married, say amen to that. It's, it's not just for procreation because if all I get from sex is my naughty children, I would not be happy with it. It is for so much more than just procreation. Genesis 1, we're created in the image of God. Two people becoming one, no beginning, no end. It's beautiful. This ecod, this, this deep fusing of two souls together. But some of us have grown up with this wrong idea that God is kind of a killjoy, KJ. He's against sex. He feels uncomfortable with sex. I mean, what do you think? He was in the Garden of Eden, just strolling one day, and he saw Adam and Eve, and they were talking. Then they started kissing. God's like, oh, that's different. And then they start doing their thing. What do you think God's doing? No! Why? Stop! What are you doing? 
that doesn't go there, why? Like God's, God's not shocked by sex. Hey, he created it. He knows about it. He knows what happens. He's the author. It's a little awkward, but he knows. And God wants particularly married people to have lots of sex. The book of Song of Solomon's, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is in the Bible. You know that the Israelites would not let Hebrew boys read this until their bar mitzvah, their coming of age, because it was so hot. Some of you are like, what, I've read it? No, you gotta read it. Solomon, look at chapter seven, oh my gosh. Instead of using the words that we would use, they, they use metaphors like wine and mounds and climbing on top of trees and taking hold of fruits. And, 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 and God is for sex. He created it. God, do you know one of the reasons why God created sex? Was so that married people would stop fighting. Billions of men around the world have apologized. Even when they know they're right. Just so you can have sex again. Some of y'all men are nervously laughing right now. But just give me one of these ones if you know I'm talking to you. Can't have sex when you're angry with someone. It's the ultimate fight resolver. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you're married here today, I want to give you the good news from God, and it's this. God wants you to have sex. He wants you to have so much sex. He wants you to have sex. He wants you to have more sex than what you're having right now. Come on, Mary. Man, you should be saying amen right now. He wants you to have sex. Why? Because he designed it. Because when you have sex, something deeper happens than just a physical act. You become one. Intimacy grows with your spouse when you become, when you become one together when you have sex. Things get resolved quicker when you have sex. It's lovely. It's amazing. All insecurities go out the window. You become one with your spouse. Proverbs 5, verse 15, this is a verse particularly to the men in the Philippines. Drink water from your own well and share your love only with your wife. When you're drinking from your own well, you're satisfied from your own well, you won't look at your neighbors. You won't look at somebody else. Drink from your own well. God is for this. He designed it in a way that we were meant to have physical wholeness, but here was the way that God designed it. He designed our physical wholeness together that it would come after we made a commitment of life wholeness. Um, so the devil counterfeits this, and the devil says this. All you need is a physical commitment to one another, right? You can have one-night stands. You can just have sex. You can, you can do everything you want, and, and that's it. That's fine. That's all you need, right? It's an absolute counterfeit. Let me, let me uh, explain to you why. So God designed sex to be had uh, after marriage, once two people have become one. What happens at a wedding? I, I love weddings. Uh, 
I remember when I married Kate, I was so excited. I stood up in front of Kate and I held her hand and we were looking at each other and it was beautiful. And what did I do when I stood on that stage as I was holding Kate's hand? I made a commitment to her, ready, ready? I made a commitment to her socially. So I was doing this in front of all our friends. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't on the down low. It wasn't secret so no one could know about it. This was in front of everyone. So I committed to her socially. I committed to her emotionally in sickness and in health, emotionally and physically. I, I, I committed to her that way. I committed to her economically. What's now mine is, is yours. For richer or for poorer, we are in this. I committed to her long term until death do us part, not until I got tired or I wanted to trade in for a new model. It was until death do us part. And I committed to her legally. We signed documents. She's legally mine. I'm legally hers. And once we did all these five things in front of everyone, we went after the party of the, the reception to our hotel room, and then we committed to each other physically. Once we had committed all this way. Do you know what the devil says? The devil says this. Commit to each other physically, and hopefully, at some point, all these other things will come. I cannot tell you the amount of people that I've sat with, both inside of church and outside of church, that have committed to each other physically, and particularly the women sit there crying, wondering why the man won't commit to the other areas. Do you know why? Why would he commit to all of these when he's getting this? And unfortunately, a lot of times, it's this terrible cycle because the woman in particular will think, if I give him this, he'll give me this. And he's thinking, I'm getting this, and I don't even have to give this. And that creates a terrible cycle that the majority of the world live in. Well, you got to try before you buy. How do you know if it's going to be good or not? Who cares? Make it good. You got the rest of your life to work it out. Don't believe pornography. It's not good the first time. The majority of the time. Just got a little bit awkward in here. This is why I believe that so many mental health issues and depression is rising today. Why people stay in toxic and abusive relationships too long. Not married. I'm talking about unmarried people here. They stay. Why? Because they've committed to this. Have you seen people break up in a relationship? And, and, and a lot of times, particularly, I'm, I'm making a generalized statement, but, but the girl a lot of times will, will deal with her emotions differently than a man. And, and the girl, you, you're looking at them going, man, you're really reacting bad to this breakup. A lot of times it's because they've had sex, and, and they're not just breaking up. They're, they're really getting divorced. You're, you're tearing apart that which is one, and you're tearing it apart. Sex done outside of marriage is not the way that God designed it to be, which leads me to my second point. Sex outside of marriage, it's the counterfeit. So sex outside of marriage is a sin. The majority of us have heard this. Whether it's been said right or not, or explained the right way, the majority of us would know that kind of the church says sex outside marriage isn't good. Uh, but a lot of people ask me all the time, this is a great question, well, where in the Bible does it say that I can't have sex outside of marriage, right? Where does it say? And if you read the English translation, it actually doesn't say it in the Bible. Now, before some of you say, woohoo, amen. 
It may not say in the English translation, but that's why it's good sometimes to go back into the original translations. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, very famous scripture, Paul writes this in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Those, those four words are important, flee. He didn't say walk away. He didn't say stare at it and look at it. He said flee, run as fast as you can from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Okay, so this is what we got to understand. In this scripture, Paul tells us not to have sex outside of marriage. You're thinking, but he, he didn't. All he said was just flee sexual immorality. You got to go back to the original Greek that it was written in, and the, sec, the word for sexual immorality is this Greek word called porneia. Porneia is this description of any sexual activity done outside of marriage, right? So Paul is saying, if I could sort of use an English amplified version, Paul is saying this, hey, flee, run away, get as far away as you can from any type of sexual activity that is done outside of marriage. Now, some of y'all want to know, well, what is sexual activity? Give me the line. Give me what I'm allowed to do. And I know this because of the amount of questions I've already had tonight that I'm going to answer at 6.30 p.m. People want to know, what's the line? What's the line? What is sexual activity? My, my simple definition of sexual activity is anything done to another person or to yourself with the intention of leading to an orgasm. And so this includes things like hand jobs, hand sex, oral sex. People all the time are like, well, well, is oral sex sex? And I go, can you say that again? They said, is oral sex sex? I'm like, do you hear, do you hear yourself? Oral sex is sex orally. Track with me here. Sex orally is oral sex, right? Why? Because it's the intention of bringing the other person to orgasm. And it's outside the confines of what the Bible describes as a biblical marriage, which is one man and one woman. So the other question I get was, how about, how about homosexuality? about this whole idea of homosexuality. We're so open talking about homosexuality in our church, what we believe, how we believe God wants us to live within our sexuality. And as a church, we hold to what we believe the Bible has said and what, what, what the majority of the church ha believes now and has believed for thousands of years that a biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. And so biblical sex is to be done inside a biblical marriage. So anything outside of that, including my boyfriend and girlfriend, or including same sex, or with transgender, or whatever you want to call it, we believe that's outside the boundaries of what God has called us to live. That's just the reality. Now, some people may be upset with that, may be angry at that. I hope it, it shouldn't surprise you because it's literally what the church has believed for 2,000 years. But does that mean, well, what if I struggle with the temptation? You know, I, I was born this way and I struggle with the temptation. Well, this is where I think the church has really gotten a lot better at approaching this subject is because we have incredible people in our church that would say, I struggle with a same-sex attraction. I've prayed about it. I've gone to therapy about it. I've been on the altar about it. I've done everything I can about it. But I still have this temptation, this struggle with same-sex attraction. 
And what I love about some of the people in our church that have, have openly admitted this, we've talked about it, it's been great, is they said, but we understand what the Bible says, and so I'm not going to give into my temptation. You know that I'm married to Kate. I love my wife. She's beautiful. But I am a, a human being man with blood in my body. And so guess what? I'm attracted to women that aren't my wife. It's not a sin to be tempted. Listen, because some people feel guilty about being tempted. One of the questions I got tonight was, well, is it wrong if I want to have sex? Is that a sin if I want to have sex? No, you were designed and created to be a sexual being. You should want to have sex, but it's a temptation to have sex outside of the confines of a godly marriage. And so if you act on that temptation, that's when it becomes a sin. So I'm tempted to be attracted to women outside of my wife, but the reason why I don't sin is because I don't act on that temptation. And those that maybe are in same-sex relationships or dealing with same-sex attraction or all that kind of stuff, I want to put it to you that it's outside of God's confines and what he has described is what a biblical sexual relationship looks like. And even though you may struggle with that, with the help of Jesus, you can actually resist that temptation. I want to read what Paul wrote, but I want to read it in the message version because this is unbelievable. The message version kind of uses modern day language to describe stuff. And if you've never heard this version before, this is, this will hit you hard. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, message version, starting around verse 14. It says, God honored the master's body, Jesus, by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical act. As written in the scriptures, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. Could I just throw out there, there's some people in relationships now that you feel more lonely than ever because you're doing the wrong sex. You're not in a committed marriage relationship, and you actually feel loneliness. This is what Paul is describing here. Where am I? Yeah, I can't find it. More lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sins, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with one another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? Isn't that amazing? God paid a high price for your body. If you're a Christ follower and if you love Jesus, you no longer own your own body. Jesus paid for your body, so don't just go squander it. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. I, I, isn't that an amazing description of it? The world has tried to make sex just skin on skin. Paul describes it here and says, this is so much deeper than that. Jesus died on the cross to purchase your body. So Paul's saying this, don't waste that death. 
Don't waste that sacrifice on just mere skin-to-skin sex that will leave you more lonely than ever. It's the only sin where you're actually sinning against yourself. Every time that you have sex with someone, you become ikad, deeply fused together. And every time you leave that partner and go to someone else, it's ripped apart and then gone to someone else and ripped apart and gone to someone else and ripped apart. And the more times you end up doing it with different people, the easier it is to just rip apart and rip apart and rip apart. So what do we need to do? Well, if you're married, it's easy. You need to have a lot of sex with your spouse. Come on, some of your husbands owe me some money after this message, I'm telling you. (laughs) And you need to only have sex with your wife. If you're not married, you gotta create boundaries. A lot of people ask, well, what are the boundaries? Is kissing bad? Well, no, kissing's not bad, but it's foreplay, and it's designed to lead to sex, and you're a sexual being, you're designed for sex, and so you have to put boundaries in place that will stop you from heading towards that goal in mind. Now, if you've already had sex before, which, how can I say this? 30 years ago in church, in a youth group, in a young adult setting, the lowest percentage of people would have had sex and the highest percentage would have been virgins. And it would have been like, oh, you've already had sex? Oh, okay. Can I just be real honest with you? Nowadays, in youth and young adults around the world in Christian churches, I'm more shocked if you are a virgin than if you're not. It's just the reality of where the world is. And in a good way, it's the reality of who we're reaching as a church. Isn't that good? We're actually reaching... Oh, I'm sorry, it's not good. We're actually reaching people that need Jesus, right? And so we gotta put in boundaries in place. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about that tonight at 6.30, but essentially is this, is that people wanna know what's the line, what's the line? I wanna know how far can I go, what can I do? Well, anything outside of marriage, sexual activity, that's the line, but can I tell you this? Is that you need to put a boundary in place that won't help you get to that line, whether you're married or not. Everybody needs boundaries. They just look different in different seasons. My boundaries that I had when I wasn't married to Kate is different now that I'm married to Kate, but I still have boundaries. Now that I'm married, we don't have any boundaries. Walang boundaries, it's fantastic. But you know what? I have boundaries with other women in my life. She has boundaries with other men in her life. We've created these boundaries, and we don't. Our goal is not to get as close to the boundary as possible, as close to the line as possible, and say, well, I'm still on this side, you know. I don't know if you've heard this, but Christians a lot of times will say, oh, well, I did everything but, which is a weird way of saying it. What they've done is they've said, I've gone right up to the line. Can I tell you? You won't stay there for long. That won't satisfy you for long. I've never heard someone go, I did everything but, and it's amazing, and I'm gonna stay here forever. No, you know what it does? It fuels you for more. It fuels you to actually do what God's designed you to do. And so we have to create these boundaries. Matthew chapter five, verse 27, this is what Jesus says. 
He says, if you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What Jesus is doing is he's raising, what's the line? What's the, what can I do? Jesus is actually raising the level here in the New Testament. The Old Testament, just, just don't have an affair. You're fine. The New Testament grace, because you now have the Holy Spirit to help you live every day, I don't want you looking and lusting after people. And this is where the issue of masturbation and pornography comes up a lot. People always ask me all the time, is masturbation wrong? Is it a sin? Is pornography wrong? Is it a sin? Uh, let's deal with masturbation first. Oh, we're getting into it today. Huh? Now, masturbation, the act, is it a sin in the Bible? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that masturbation is a sin. Is that a surprise to anyone? It doesn't say, thou shalt not masturbate. Not written in the Bible at all. Paul didn't write and say, love the people that are sinning. And oh, by the way, don't masturbate as well in there. Timothy says hi. That's not what Paul wrote in his letters. Uh, and so the act of masturbation is not a sin. But generally, how masturbation is done in both men and women, and it's actually now, especially with our younger girls in, in, in a highly sexualized generation, it's now becoming a real issue in, in girls as well, is this, is that when masturbation occurs, generally what you're doing is you're thinking of something. You're lusting. And what masturbation does is it grows inside of you a sense of treating people like objects and like things. And so is the act of masturbation a sin? Well, in the Bible, I'm just saying in the Bible, it doesn't say that it's a sin at all. I grew up sometimes, people going, masturbation's like having sex with the devil. Like, well, I don't know if that's really true, but, uh, but the act of masturbation isn't a sin, but your thoughts and the lust that happens in your head when it happens, well, that's a sin. And that's a problem with masturbation. And we could go into it. We might go into it a little bit more tonight. But then the issue with masturbation is, can I tell you, if you struggle with it before marriage, the struggle ain't going to go away once you get married. And I'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later on. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I don't know if, I don't know if masturbation if you could really say you're doing it for the glory of God. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to be surprised, but I just don't think. I, praise you, Jesus. And uh, I just don't see it at all. Pornography. I don't even have the time to talk about pornography. But can I tell you this? That if the secular world is rising up against something that's evil, you know it's pretty evil. Like, it's not just Christians that are saying pornography is bad. Do you know that the secular, unchurched, unsaved people are actually realizing the harmful effects of how incredibly harmful pornography is? Now, the statistics would say there's a lot of people in this room and watching online that are struggling with pornography. So I'm not here to say, it's bad, it's horrible, you're a terrible person. In fact, I want to kind of come through the other approach and go, I, I know how difficult it is to avoid it. When I was a kid, let alone when Rocky and Joel were kids, but when I was a kid... It was hard to get pornography, right? Like underage, you had to try and convince someone to buy a magazine for you or stay up late at night to watch that weird foreign channel online, you know, on the TV. That was the only way that we had sex. Nowadays, it's hard to avoid sex. All you got to do is go on Instagram and flick through. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, ah, ah, ah. 
right? It's like people in church, oh my God, right? It's like, it's hard to avoid it now. And so if you're struggling with pornography, I wanna tell you, you're not in the minority, you're actually probably in the majority. We just don't really wanna talk about it in church because it's uncomfortable. And the more that you hide it, remember the series I preached earlier this year, that if it's in the darkness, if you don't shine a light on it, it's gonna grow, it's gonna grow, it's gonna grow. And I'm telling you, what pornography does is it's not harmless, it's so harmful. You know that pornography actually comes through and, and when you see pornography, it releases, I'm not gonna get too scientific here, but it releases this drug in your brain called dopamine, right? And you get excited, it releases dopamine in your brain. And what pornography begins to do is it begins to rewire how your brain responds to things. And so what excited you initially, what excited you initially with pornography and release of dopamine, in order to get the same release, you need a little bit more and you need a little bit more and you need a little bit more and a little bit more. That, that's why you start maybe with this, but people generally end up here. Whether they wanna admit it or not, they end up here. Why? Because you need an increase of what's going on in your brain for the dopamine to be released. Uh, pornography, it affects your real world expectations. Do you know how many marriages have been ruined because of pornography, right? Not because the dude's watching it, but the dude thinks that's what should happen in a marriage. I, can't, I cannot describe to you how messed up pornography is. In the real world, it just doesn't happen. Right? The pizza delivery guy doesn't come over and be like, hey, do you want pizza or do you want pizza? That doesn't happen in the real world. How men treat women in pornography is absolutely disgusting and dehumanizing. And pornography has raised generations of men that treat women like objects instead of human beings. Pornography, it, it leads to, it leads to sexual, uh, not being content in your sexual relationship with your partner. It's terrible. You know what else it leads to? It leads to an easy option for you when you're married. Listen to me. I cannot tell you how many married men I've sat with and taught that have, have, have told me stories. I've listened to women as couples. Kate and I, and I've heard the story of women like, oh yeah, you know, we only have sex a couple times a month, oh, it's great. You know, he doesn't bug me for it. And I'm like, he doesn't bug you for it? Either he's gay, or he's getting his release somewhere else. He's going somewhere else. You know, pornography's easy, you don't have to try. You can just turn over, flick on your phone now, Look on your thing, you don't have to try. For your marriage, all you single people, let me tell you, sex isn't like fully easy in marriage. Come on now, married people. I gotta slow roast my wife. There's about 27 stories I wanna share right now, but it's the morning service. Slow, what does it mean to slow roast my wife? I don't know, Kate, do you wanna come up here and tell everyone what it means? I, like, I don't just come home and be like, yo, I'm home. Right? I gotta send texts throughout the day, love you, thinking about you. 
I gotta treat her nice, I gotta speak nicely to her. I gotta help around the house, I've gotta. What? Oh, do they put your face, why? Why do you do that? She hates it when you do that. I gotta speak, I gotta slow roast my wife like a, like a good lechon. Right, roast beef, right? Slow cooked. Set. So you know what? You know what happens in a lot of marriages? Can I just speak to the married people? You know what happens in a lot of marriage? You end up getting tired of that. So it's just easy to go to someone that doesn't require that. That picture, that movie, that Instagram, that, that thing, that doesn't require it. Once you're done, you can turn it off. You don't even have to talk afterwards. And the amount of marriages where they don't even realize there's a problem within the marriage because of it. I'm telling you, porn is destructive. It's a sexual activity outside of marriage. It's dangerous. If you got children, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, please listen to me. Have conversations with your kids and don't let them have a device that's unfiltered. If you let them have a device that they can access some, anything that they want, you are, you are sending them in with a grenade. I hope they don't do anything. And I, this isn't a boy issue. You know, the amount, Kate and I were youth pastors for 10 years. The amount of girls that we had to counsel who had hardcore pornography, not little naked photos, I mean hardcore pornography addictions as young women. This isn't just a boy thing. Parents, you gotta talk about this. We need to talk about this with our kids. So how do we do it? We set boundaries. We talk about it. We open, our, we open up with our struggles. We create things. People always come to me and say, well, how do I deal with pornography? Like, how do I deal with it? I go, well, honestly, if you're really addicted to it and you really have a problem with it, get rid of all your computers and your phones. Well, I, well, I can't. I go, well, no, you can. It will inconvenience you, but, but what do you want? Inconvenience when it comes to checking your emails or, or do you wanna be free of this addiction? It's an easy solution. It's, sorry, it's easy to say solution. It's harder to do. In our church, we have people, we've got so many great people that have been through this struggle, been through saying, we wanna help, we wanna pray with you, we wanna love on you. Sex, man, what a topic. I wanna challenge those today that love Jesus, but maybe you've justified having sex outside of marriage or pornography. Maybe you've justified going to massage parlors and just going, well, it's just what you do. It's Filipino culture. It doesn't mean anything. I don't have any feelings or anything like that. I'm telling you, the Bible is clear on what God defines as biblical godly sex. It's between one man, one woman in the confines of marriage. And I wanna encourage you and challenge you, get into alignment. If you're having sex outside of marriage right now, as much as you may love Jesus, if you are not repenting of that sin, you are out of alignment of his kingdom. You're out of alignment. I've talked to two couples in the last month where I've encouraged, they're living together, they have babies together, and I've encouraged them. Uh, one of them, I ended up marrying them in a secret wedding together because they wanted to get into alignment, and the other one is gonna get married and made a commitment to each other that they're not gonna have sex with each other until they get married. Why? Because the conviction of the Holy Spirit has set in on them, and they wanna come under alignment with God. You gotta have the conversations. You gotta set the boundaries. I'm telling you, if you're living outside of his boundaries, you're not getting the blessing of God. You may think that you're getting the blessing of God, but I preached on this in that sermon, bless me. The devil can bless you just as much as God can. 
And you may think that everything's good now, but the seeds that you're planting now are not seeds that are gonna grow good fruit. Eventually, it's gonna grow bad fruit in the future. God wants yada to know each other. Some people have said, well, well, I know I'm gonna marry this person. Why can't I just have sex with them? Why is that wrong? Sex outside of God's will is a sin. It's the right thing, it's the right person, but it's the, right, it's the wrong time. When you bond together outside of marriage, you're bonding together, but God is not bonding you. You're doing it yourself. You're not doing it with his blessing. It's like my daughter. If I, if I bring my daughter and I, and I put, you know those, those um, things they do with kids, they put a marshmallow on the plate and they're like, don't eat it. And they go away and it's this psychoanalyst test on the child, will they listen or not? It's like I say, hey, hey Hope, you, you get to eat this, but I'm gonna let you eat it in 10 minutes. Don't, don't eat it for 10 minutes. And if she eats it, like takes it and she eats it anyway, well, what's the big deal? I was gonna give it to her, right? What's the, what's the big deal? I was gonna give it to her in 10 minutes. No, no, you know what the big deal is? She rebelled against me. She didn't obey me. That's the big deal. I don't, I don't care that she ate the marshmallow. Like, okay, it's a marshmallow. I cared that she didn't listen to me and she rebelled. What I need you to know is that every person that's heard me preach today, that you walk out of today and you understand what God has said. And so from here on in, it's between you and God. It's between you and God. Sex is wonderful, but it's wonderful when it's done inside of the confines of marriage. And you know what's awesome about the Bible as well? Is that as much as the Bible celebrates sex and tells us all the pitfalls of how sex outside of marriage is, all you gotta do is read the Old Testament. King David, a man's after God's own heart, was disciplined by God because he had sex outside of marriage. Some people are like, well, how come in the Old Testament you know, it's one of the questions I think tonight. How come the Old Testament, there's people with multiple wives in the whole Testament? You know, why can't we have multiple wives now? Well, if you read the Old Testament, it didn't end well for any one of the people that had multiple wives, that had multiple issues, right? So God shows us in the Bible. But you know, as much as God shows us how great sex is when it's done biblically as well, God also shows us that we can have a life where we don't have to have sex if we're not married. Jesus never had sex. Jeremiah the prophet never had sex. Elijah never had sex. We see examples in the Bible of people that actually lived and loved God. John the Baptist didn't have sex. If you're here and God's called you to a life of abstinence, of celibacy, maybe to never get married. Now don't claim this, if you're married, no, this is not for you. Well, pastor said, Jesus didn't do it, you know. No, that's wrong. Paul said to do it, but, but maybe God's called you to a life of celib celibacy. That's okay. That doesn't mean you're less than anybody else. In fact, Paul even says it's better for you not to get married so that you can give your full time and effort and energy into sharing of the gospel and you don't have to deal with the issues that we talked about two weeks ago when we talked about all the issues of marriage. So if you're here and you're single and maybe you feel God's calling you, that's, that's okay. That's not a lesser life. In fact, you're going to live an amazing life. You're going to be able to do things that I'll never be able to do. That was a big amen down the front here from a man who has a girlfriend sitting right next to him. Hey, sex is great when it's done the way God designed it. 
So this is what we're gonna do. I'm not gonna do some big altar call today. <laughs> uh, that would have been funny though, wouldn't it? I'm not gonna do that, but I'm gonna pray for people. I'm gonna give every person an opportunity to respond to Jesus, to be your personal Lord and Savior in a second, but I'm gonna pray for people because whether you're married or unmarried, this sermon goes to you. And can I just tell you this as well? I know I'm a little bit younger. I'm, I'm a couple years away from 40, so I'm still in my 30s. But I've talked to a lot of older men who go through the same struggles. And so maybe you're here and you're going, well, I'm old, it doesn't apply to me. No, 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 this still applies. And also, you're probably leading people and talking to people. This applies to everyone. If you're married, man, I'm praying. In February next year, we're gonna have a, a, a marriage summit, and we're gonna talk about this a lot more freely than what I can talk about today, because there's a lot of single people in the room, and so I don't wanna do that. And I will make the worst of jokes as well that day, because we're all married, we're all allowed to, and all the single people aren't in the room, it'll be great. But, but married people, God wants you to have sex. Kate, I can't hear you. <laughs> Amen, right? Single people, God doesn't want you to be a virgin. God wants you to be pure. And if you're not married, purity looks like not having sex. But purity is so much deeper than that. It's chasing after the things of God, not after the things of this world. So it's wonderful. If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never come to a point where you've accepted that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he loves you, that he took your sin, whether it was last month or last night, upon your shoulders. Because of what Jesus did, he made a way for us to acknowledge and come into a relationship with God. When Jesus died, in fact, there was a huge curtain that used to hang in the temple, and it was a curtain that would separate the people from the inner presence of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us that the curtain ripped from the bottom all the way to the top. And it was this amazing uh, uh, picture of how God was ripping away what stood between us and him. And because of Jesus now, we can come into a relationship with God the Father. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And so I wanna give a chance today to everyone in here. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're watching online. You've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Or maybe you did a long time ago, but you've walked away. I'm not asking if you had sex in the last week and you feel guilty about it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you know you don't have an active relationship with Jesus. I wanna give you a chance to respond. Can we all just bow our heads, close our eyes? If you're online, I'd love you to do the same thing as well. If you're saying, James, that's me, I've never done this before, I've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're saying, James, I did. I, you know, I made this decision a long time ago, but I walked away. I don't have a relationship with Jesus anymore. I wanna give you a chance to respond. So while every head is bowed and every eye closed, except for our team that's here, if you're saying, James, that's me, on the count of three, I'd love you to lift your hand because I wanna pray for you and we're all gonna pray together. So if that's you on the count of three, you lift your hand. One, two, three, right now all over this room, awesome. Thank you, hand over here. Who else? Thank you, Jesus. Couple hands here in front. Thank you, Lord. If you lifted your hand, I want you to put your hand on your heart right now. If you're online, you can do the same thing as well. We're gonna pray a prayer reflecting what Paul said, and we're all gonna pray it together. So come on, say after me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, come to you right now. 
and I ask you to forgive my sin. I believe that you died on the cross, but you defeated death and you rose victorious. So right now I ask, please come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Come on, can you give God praise for every person that just responded? Thank you so much for listening in. At Favor Church, we're a family, and we believe that the Christian journey should not be done alone. If something really spoke to you from the message, we would love to connect with you to talk it over. Or if you prayed the salvation prayer, we'd also love to be able to share more about the decision that you've just made. Please visit us at favor.church/next to learn more. If you want to share this podcast with a friend, simply tap on the share button and send it through. We love you. We're praying for you. Till next time.